0: Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Drew and we're back with a special podcast all around the globe and I'm privileged because one of the guests in particular has turned off their aircon just to record this so that it sounds crystal clear for yourself and I am joined by the fantastic and fabulous Jake and Aaron from Out of Architecture who I discovered online and I'm sure by the end of this, depending on how the podcast goes, oh my has gone already. Depending on how this all goes, maybe we'll become fast friends. So, Jake and Aaron, I'm out of architecture, how are you? You okay? We're doing really well, Stephen. Thanks so much for having us. Doing
1: really great. Right. Already getting warm, but doing really you getting
0: you really getting warm. <laughs> I already I already touched my cam camera, Jake. Isn't it? It's just uh, I have to work on that after this. But we we're gonna keep on going anyways. So so for Jake and Aaron, um, basically, some people might not be aware of the awesome stuff that you do. And perhaps, Jake, we can start with yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then, Aaron, afterwards, that would be awesome if you could tell us about yourself as well. Absolutely.
2: So Aaron and I um, are the co-founders of a project-turned-business-turned-now-sort-of-crazy passion um, called Out of Architecture, which is a career consulting company that... Um, supports individuals from design and architecture backgrounds in finding jobs that we all thought we were going to be getting when we left architecture school, <laughs> and in oh, finding yeah. finding roles that kind of fulfill and satisfy all of those creative urges and values, and you know whether it's compensation or appreciation or creativity um, in my day job. Uh, I am a senior manager at Adidas and I work in uh, digital technologies team doing computational design, 3D modeling, visualization, rendering for shoes, um, which are essentially little buildings that you stick feet in. I mean, it's it's really the same thing. And uh, (laughs) so um, beyond that, um, we do uh, a lot of different projects aaron and i both have uh some other passions and um so it's uh yeah it's kind of a myriad of things but that's a little bit about me
0: well done i mean just before we jump in aaron i got a confession for you guys jake i'm gonna i think mean, i think mean, you're gonna log off look at this because you should see i need new <laughs> shoes look at these bad boys they're terrible jake you gotta sort me out with some proper shoe advice after this yeah i'm it's embarrassing. As you we were talking earlier about, you know, my is now the RABA president. I rocked up with these horrible, horrible trainers. So maybe we'll pick that up later. Okay, maybe that we'll sounds, pick that up later. Sounds like a plan. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a clap. Maybe we can, you can help me design some new shoes after this. Erin, sorry, I hijacked your intro with my awful confession about my terrible um old old converses No it's okay I'd I love know. to hear about yourself
1: no, Actually I guess the for... also wearing oh, converses are we haven't
0: <laughs> Oh yeah but yours are nice like mine are like dying a death they they've given up on life you know
1: <laughs> That's a great part about converses right Actually I was just I just went to go buy a new pair um and I remember when they were like 25 dollars yeah, <laughs> I just dropped like 65 bucks on a a pair of chucks um, but anyway, um, I've been buying Converse my whole life. I guess the first thing you should know about me is I was in a punk band. So, um, no, not wow. at all. um, so, I mean, I was, but, uh, that's not, that's not uh, not what I do now, unfortunately. Um, what What do you
0: do now then? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm from, punk band's pretty cool, you it, know. It is,
1: it is, and and we try to revive it uh, every once in a while. Um hey. I have I have music on the brain because I went to a Rage Against the Machine concert last night, so I'm pretty still pretty stoked. Did you? Um, I did. Oh my yeah. god,
0: but, I do like Rage.
1: Yeah, it was it was fantastic. But um, no, so I mean, I do uh, you know. Aside from the partnership with Jake and, and out of architecture, which, you know, as he kind of appropriately appropriately mentioned, started as a sort of passion project that became a business and now
0: yeah. um,
1: as we grow has been able to become uh really the best version of both. So we're pretty excited about that. Um I am also still uh still an architect trying to redefine what that that term means. So I I run my own firm mm-hmm. called Matter. Um Where we do uh, try to do uh, as much as possible uh, community engaged design Um, right now, working on um, a project with a couple of cities in New Jersey, uh, making homes for the unhoused, um, as well as a bunch of kind of bespoke custom stuff uh, in places like Martha's Vineyard. One hand kind of washes the other in that sense. So I get to play around with all the things I love to do in architecture school, which was build and you know mess around in three D and get people excited about uh, building homes.
0: I love it. Well, well, I'll give you a clap as well. Well done, Erin. You're still doing architecture in the traditional sense, but you've kind of got that not in the traditional (laughs) sense. Oh, that's true. I mean, I mean, I mean careers like. But are you more like then Bat Lady? Is it so you're doing a bit of like. Architecture for for the um, the community in the day, and then at night you're doing out of architecture, and somehow managing to go and see Rage Against the Machine, and somehow managing to <laughs> a bit of punk. I'm impressed.
2: That's the beauty of getting to you know run a business as managing your own time. I mean, oh my gosh, can we just talk about how inefficient it was to sit in you know a, a traditional firm and kind of have mm-hmm. your have your drawings done and feel like well you know, it's 3.30, how long do I need to pretend that, you know, I'm actually working before it's safe to get up and go out to dinner before I actually come back to the firm to make sure that I don't need to do anything else before I leave again, um, you know, or you're waiting for someone else to to send you a, a detail so that you can actually put the model together and, you know, it just takes hours and hours of waiting. I mean, that's that's the beauty of having... You know, either a company or teams or running your own company that mm. supports doing a myriad number of things. I mean, it feels great yeah. to have that flexibility, and I'm sure, Stephen, that you feel that as well. But yeah, then that's how you get to see Rage Against the Machine.
0: You know, <laughs> I love, it. I love it. Do you reckon there's some poor soul out there listening to this podcast while rendering stuff at late at night and? We're talking about how we're not doing that. that I'm sure there are many.
2: I'm sure there are many. And, I, I, you know, it's only you're only a poor soul if it's not where you want to be. Right. And I think that's what we try to tell people is it's really important to understand that, you know, we I think for a long time, we thought we were the villains of the story of like Mm. stealing people from architecture, you know, smart, talented, good architects who you know, are just escaping to tech to make more money. And I, I mean, I, I got that so many times in the transition to working yeah. in uh, in footwear, you know, well, you're never going to come back, you know, you're just going to become greedy. It's all about money. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I never got to do the kind of innovative manufacturing fabrication stuff that I get to do at Adidas in an architecture firm. I just never had that yeah. opportunity. And... You know, even if the pay was level, um, which it certainly is not. And I think that's a huge part of feeling valued. um, Yeah. I would prefer the work that I'm doing um, over the work that I was being given in architecture. So Mm -hmm. I don't think you should, you know, not everyone who's doing a rendering right now or sitting down and working through Revit detail or a family is going to hate that work. They might love that. And that's, that's incredible. But, there's a lot of people who get trained to do other things, and expect to be going into the profession, not rendering, not necessarily working on in Revit only, and uh, and that's where I think we come in.
0: Nice. Well, I've got a confession because I used to do architecture, and I haven't done it for eight years. I've um, been doing <laughs> recruitment. I um I I took I went to a recruiter. And when I was a part two architect assistant that's doing five years in the UK and I was like oh, I'm just not feeling it I'm not too sure what I should do and they were like yeah you, you're gonna talk in, when you have give this a go and I was like honestly I'll just give it a go at this point and uh, yeah I've, I've, I've done it ever since so I, I I do I have left architecture in the traditional sense as well um, but recruitment I, I mean that's probably like you know, like the, all the evils on the on the spectrum. I think sales and estate agents and recruiters are normally the thing that you when you go to a dinner party, right Jake and Aaron, and people are like, "Oh, you do recruitment?" Oh, and um, and I I at first I had to kind of get over that, and I think um, it's still been the best job I've ever done. I, sometimes I work though, crazy hours. I gotta say, I run my own business now, and I think I work more hours than I did when I was in architecture, in a weird way. But I'm not clock-watching anymore, and that's mm-hmm. the big difference. And and that's probably my own personal um, demons, which comes from architecture, I think, as well, where there's this attitude in architecture, education, especially in the UK. You tell me if it's the same, um, you know, in the States, is where basically you can work long hours into the night and all this crazy stuff. And and I think that sometimes I... I, I I struggle with work-life balance on a personal level, which is very interesting because when you can blame architecture for that, but then also now in this new situation, I've got to stop doing it myself. But the good news is, guys, I've got better at it. I don't do so many long hours anymore. My partner will throw a frying pan at my head if I work too long hours into the evening. Steve, what are you doing all the time? Come on, you have to, you have to stop. You have to put down the computer, you know, just close everything, right? So... <laughs> No, it's, so. it's true,
1: you know, like we have this, I think we have the same issue here and I'm with you. I, I, you know, at this point, I guess I run two businesses and yeah, I work much harder than, than I did or I would if I, I worked for somebody else, but you're right. There's this difference between what yeah. you really enjoy doing. And I think clock watching is the best way to put it. Right.
0: Um, yeah, hundred percent. You know,
1: <laughs> we had uh, a bunch of like pieces of furniture we were working on last week and I love making things and it was 100 degrees outside but we were outside I was outside all day on my birthday like building a table and I was just like you know what this is exactly how I would want to spend that Um, maybe with 10 degrees cooler 20 degrees cooler but aside from that I mean having the freedom to exercise whatever your passions are kind of on your own terms or as much as on your own terms as possible to me that's just that's everything, right? And it's kind of yeah. that's not necessarily money. But I think the most important currency is time, and being able to decide how you spend your time um, and design your life around that is 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 really key.
0: I agree, and I'll I'll jump in. Um, and I'm loving this conversation because it's close to home for me. Because um, again, going back to recruitment, recruitment, you think sales is all about chasing the money and all this stuff, and and what I learned is that it was quite an interesting um, space because there's no real rules in it, right? Okay. And so, I mean, partly the architecture social came out of um, giving information, helping people out, you know, experimenting with career counseling, made a forum during the pandemic, all this cool stuff. And that's because there was nothing in this space. So ironically, I, I've had much more scope to do innovation in the recruitment industry than if I was staying in an architecture practice. And I'm like you, I was like, I used to like volunteer to take the bins out in the office because I was like five minutes away from my desk would be better. And then I learned as well, and this is not good advice for anyone out there, but I had one or two key directors who would like to talk like me. And then I learned quite quickly if I asked them about their family or their situation in the in the kitchens, I would just procrastinate and not return to my desk for 20 minutes. Hey, Richard, how's... How's your daughter doing at uni? Has, is, she, is it going well with economics? Oh, Steve, no, I'll do that. And at one point, they used to chase me, Jake and Aaron. They used to chase me because there was three kitchens where I used to work, and I would always be in the other kitchens. Ironically, though, while I was that kind of part uh, two architects' assistant, and they're like, "Ah, oh, you know, Steve's a nice guy, but we're not too sure about that in terms of recruitment." I've done all of their recruitment, and and so you know it doesn't mean that you you're you're not good in some skills and I think that maybe that's a good segue to the next thing about architecture because I think it's an amazing uh qualification I, I love studying architecture and I apply a lot of it to business now but you're right I think like for me it was really anticlimactic going into the architecture industry because me personally some people I know they had it right they were loving it they were doing all the law degree, you know, in, in the UK it's called Part Three to become qualified as an architect. I'm sure this, you have like an AIA equivalent and and, and all that. And um, they were loving it. And for me, I just was it just I was not interested, right? But then I got like a really good grade at university, and I remember feeling at the time like I don't think I'm stupid, but I'm not too sure where I want to do. And I wasn't quite sure. And actually, you're talking about being outside of architecture. I didn't know many people that did there and if I said to anyone at the time like I'm not too sure if I want to continue becoming an architect it was like really why after all these years are you are you not what's going on is is something wrong with your brain are you a failure are you just not good enough and so I felt like that and I didn't feel like I had anyone to speak to at the time and I'll throw out a question this question to to you both is this a similar thing that you're hearing now and maybe that's why again you wanted the setup um, out of architecture. So was it just not me? Am I not the only black sheep out there? It's definitely not just you. We have, <laughs> I mean,
2: at this point, uh, we're somewhere over the range of about 700 clients and several thousand yeah. conversations. It's astonishing oh, wow. how much um, the expectations are shifting, I think, for yeah. students, I mean, and certainly, you know, a decade ago, I think it was a lot more taboo to go into a degree um, and say, "Well, I'm going to use this for some ulterior motive, right? Some some alternate yeah. pathway." But now, I think, in just the almost five years that we've been uh, working out of architecture, we've had so many individuals come to us and say, "Hey, I'm st- I'm in the middle of school, and I'm well aware that I don't want to go into." Architecture as it is traditionally practiced through a firm. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the alternatives. And what that highlights for me is that we're getting away from this issue of uh, what Aaron and I have termed kind of the noun crisis, which is you start architecture school to become an architect, period. And the architectural career pathway is defined around that term. You have nuances to that, whether it's architectural designer. Uh, architectural assistant, you know you have an associate architect, a project architect, a principal architect, a partner. Mm. But all of these things are in essence one career trajectory. Right. And when you step out of just that narrative, you start to see that there are other pathways. I mean, there are spec writers who were architects. There are also engineers who are architects. There are model builders there are computational designers there are marketers who came from architecture Salespeople who came from architecture there are so many pathways and we've started to encounter some of these people who have a law degree and an architectural degree and are in Mm -hmm. these very strange niche areas of architecture engineering and construction and what we try to do is to show people first beyond just that tiny bubble of I am an architect, here are some some other things. But we've started to expand that more and more. And really what out of architecture points to is that there are architects in the world beyond AEC. There are retail designers, workplace designers, service designers, experiential designers, UX designers, all of these Mm -hmm. different designers that can benefit from the architectural training and that can use that to their advantage In an industry and a creative application that maybe is just not buildings and Mm. that is such a powerful thing to have going through your education to understand that i have a way out because as with any other relationship even if you're let's say dating someone yeah Putting that person against all of the other opportunities, the possibilities, that's how you know, is this the right person for me? Is this the right role for me? If you think that you have only one option, especially in a career, you're just, you know, you're going to take whatever is put in front of you. And we see architects do that with salary, with work, with, you know, the criteria of however many hours they're taking on and yeah. not thinking twice about it even if it feels horrendous because they just think they have no alternative
0: mm. yeah not um not an ideal situation and i remember feeling that way as well of um not too sure what to do but there was just something in me that i didn't want to do the the architectural exam because it was getting real then every you know it was like if i do the exam that's really a com- you know a commitment and actually I almost felt it would be fraudulent to my passions to, to study the legalities of architecture when I didn't really intend to practice it. But ironically, the way I look at doing my own business, a lot of that I see from my master's and part twos and that data-driven approach. Because we mentioned even just before we started the podcast is how I found out, about, out of architecture is because I found a backlink, which is a technical term for your link, your website linking to my website. And, um, that's a skill I never learned before of running my own business. And, you know, and again, uh, while I set up the architecture in 2018, it's weird how the, the world works because for years I was dabbling with WordPress and there was a few other things and learning a little bit of CSS. I mean, I have a friend that, um, is a technically, you know, an architectural assistant and as you guys mentioned earlier, who's now a UX designer and he's done that for a long period of time. But actually, it's weird how the world works as in, for me, playing around with websites. That's also been one of my huge strengths, because in recruitment, if you've ever seen Wolf of Wall Street, it's not quite as bad as that. But it is a bit like that in recruitment. And they, they were like, hey, you over there, you you're like that clever architecture guy, apparently, and you know websites. Can you just build something so I'd build something half decent and they're like, whoa. And then it was that kind of thing of that that skill set or that approach in architecture in recruitment was really valuable. And actually the other thing, sorry, I'm rambling on. So and knew one second, but looking at the process of recruitment, much like a bin manager or something looks at architecture, and that the process of it was extremely valuable because getting into the science of something and, and it was that approach that I picked up in my studies Was super valuable in another industry. So, I mean, I love um, all that stuff. And maybe a quick other thing to mention because we talked about my website, we're going to your website. And I found your website and I loved it because you've got right now, you've got a job board and you mentioned all these opportunities that maybe architects would be good for. And I thought that was amazing because I can imagine when you're in architecture, for you guys, you could be like, right, maybe you could do this, maybe you could do that. But it's very hard, isn't it, when you're still in the role to imagine anything other than what you're doing because where do you begin? And as you have quite rightly said, maybe there's a role. And you mentioned Rockstar, and I loved Grand Theft Auto, and I know the, there's environmental designers there. So that's maybe one that I thought of a bit. But even then, they don't necessarily say in these adverts, right, open to an architectural professional. It's kind of you have to... I would imagine, and it's explain to the employer or show transferable skills. So I don't know. I mean, Erin, do you want to jump on that as well? Is that right? Do you find that you have to guide people on how to apply to these roles so that the people see their transferable skills?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack in, in what you're talking about, and part of it comes from if we – Kind of, if we don't rebel against this really narrow understanding of what an architect is and does, we're just not keeping up yeah. with with progress, right? I mean, when we were all born, half of the jobs that probably our colleagues who are not architects have didn't exist as titles. You know, yeah. I mean, I I can't tell you that I know that for a fact when I was born that you know a, a technical data scientist or an information architect. I don't think those roles didn't exist yet. They maybe did in in mm-hmm. niche sort of government agencies, but so. The reality is, is why do we not focus on this disconnect between all of the skills that you're getting through a degree of study, happen to be called architecture, but Mm. there are some data scientists out there also that have a background in English literature, I'm sure, right? (laughs) So it's just because your degree program is titled this and maybe even your first few jobs out of school, this sort of immediate or all-consuming association with no I build buildings really sort of cuts you off at the knees because to get to your, like, your direct question. So let's say you don't find someone at Rockstar who knows an architect or knows what an architect does or was an architect at some point. That's an incredible opportunity to explain the way an architect thinks, right? What you were trained to do. What were you trained to do? You were trained to mitigate uncertainty. You were trained to manage complex systems without having an intensely deep you know, knowledge or expertise or skill set in that uh, complex system. You're trained to make something out of nothing. Mm. You're trained to manage uncertainty and 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 risk around, you know, following a process. You're trained to uh, manage yourself and your time in a series of, of really complex um, scheduling processes and other people, right? So these are all incredibly yeah. useful skills that no one knows an architect necessarily has. Just like, I don't know what the skills of a data scientist actually are, right? Um, but yeah. if you kind of yeah, separate yourself from that title or at least allow yourself to take some ownership and explain that to people, um, and maybe even to yourself and recognize that your skills are applicable in all these other places, it, it ends up making, if we don't do that, it ends up making architecture a really sort of narrow, dismal world that only makes buildings.
0: mm mm-hmm well said jake do you want to add anything to that
2: i think that was exceptionally well put i think
0: so. i I agree (laughs) that uh, i i
2: agree and i would only add that you know we talk a lot about the negatives of architecture yeah to aaron's point there is an incredible opportunity yeah in the architectural profession and we for the longest time felt that We were going to stay and fight and do something to change that. Mm -hmm. And in a recent episode that you recorded, you uh, had mentioned that, uh, you know, with uh, along with a, a colleague, I forget her name, but she was a fantastic guest, that there is power in separating yourself from the system and then turning around and trying to support from the outside, I think, and giving yourself some breathing room and time to focus on that is incredibly important and for anyone listening to this who might have their you know head buried in a, in a 3D model or a rendering or feel lost there is no shame in stepping away from you know a particular position to look at architecture from a different lens yeah i mean that is that is an incredible opportunity to broaden the profession to redefine what architecture Means both to you and to others, um, and I'm constantly shocked uh, at the the notes, the messages, the the responses that Aaron and I get of people thanking us just for showing them that architecture can be something else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I do often still feel a lot of guilt when we talk to uh, firm leaders and owners and principals because I think that they maintain this um, pay your dues mentality, having to stay, having to suffer as being a part of the badge of honor of architecture. Mm. And yet Aaron and I also have architecture firms now coming to us to ask for talent as kind of almost recruiters in a sense, because they're interested in people who think differently, who don't want to. Have to suffer who are interested in exploring a multitude of things, at a young career stage, and that's amazing. So to me, that's a huge win, and a small change in what seemed to be a very unified wall of the architectural profession.
0: Mm, well said. I am, um, because I, I think it's interesting that if I, uh, I, at the time. You know, and I'm lucky because my dad was a really good support and my mum. But well, it's interesting because my dad, he was an engineer between us. Right. And he still is an engineer, but he was an engineer in a particular place. And he hated the job. Right. He hated it. He hated it. And he was working in the factory at the time and you could just smoke there. So he was at this machine smoking all day. And any first chance he got, he, he he tried. He switched to a role where he was like um, a relationship builder in, in engineering so when i was like dad i don't want to be an architect and a lot of ironically my friends in architecture were more like you're crazy steve what are you gonna do just put up with it for another two years. you'll change your mind but it was my dad of all people it was like yeah okay i understand just do what you want and because you know it, it was it was quite scary at the, at the time and um, so i do think having that support is is important and i, I think it's really important that we have people like yourself taking the taboo out of it, so I'm going to give you a quick clap, a great clap for that, because we need more of that. And it, and the, what I was going to add is that, okay. So in terms of, uh, I'm going to bring it to myself as well because I can speak from experience because of what I've done. Is so while I were re- recruit in architectural recruitment, I think I've made a much more of a positive impact on the architecture industry than if I was continuing down that tra- trajectory. As a part two architectural assistant, and 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 that's where I think it's really interesting going against the status quo because, uh, and look, I know some. I I've got a friend that actually struggled during university, whereas I was okay. I was all right. I have a friend who struggled, and now he's like an associate director building buildings which are amazing that I could never have done. And I've left the industry, you know, and I didn't do um, my part for the architecture. But where I'm going is that. I think that you can be still involved in architecture or even set up your own business and do all this stuff, which is outside maybe the status quo, but you can still help in the built environment. So for example, you you guys must be doing this and I, surely you get your kicks off as well because that's where we came from, right? That's our origins. And it is nice to be adding something back. And I know people that have gone into maybe architecture journalism or another emergent space I see, and you mentioned tech before. Is also it's quite a lot of tech in the BIM space or so the modular space, and there's developers in modular, and you've got parametric designers. And I know one architectural assistant who has got a job who got a job a while ago at Google. I don't even know what he, he's doing at the moment. I met up for him, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, because you, you know in recruitment he would be like, "Yeah, if you got a job for around ninety thousand, I'll look at it." And I was like, "I haven't got any jobs in architecture <laughs> at that level." And so he's probably, you know, off there with Google making the next. But he was doing like AR, VR and metaverse mm. stuff before. It was probably now called metaverse. Point is, I'm trying to get to, you can add a lot of value indirectly in architecture. So while out of architecture, I'd love to hear stories. Do you know any kind of cool stuff that's, like you mentioned, uh, architecture practices asking for people's talents coming in? Have you seen architects have gone off and maybe set up their own businesses and doing cool stuff in the in the architecture industry in, inadvertently?
1: I mean, we we have the privilege of talking to people who go off and do just absolutely amazingly cool things. And sometimes we get yeah. to help them do that or sometimes they just come to us and say, you know, like, hey, I really resonate with what you're trying to do. Here's my story, right? So yeah. it's amazing that we, we get that. I think it, it comes back to this question of how do you want to have agency in the world? One of our clients is now you know, designing bases for SpaceX, right? So places to launch rockets from. Oh, wow. You know, like, that's that's amazing. We've had clients Ooh. go off and be yacht designers. We've had clients who've wanted to focus on um, sustainability, but from, from a corporate perspective. So going in and being a strategist um, or a consultant who helps companies with strategy or an in-house um in-house sustainability consultant for for companies that you know obviously hopefully care about the, the built environment, right? And again, it comes back to like what are your personal values and how do they align with the agency you want to have in the world? And I think the mm. fact that it can turn back on itself and we can help, you know, help modernize or help bring the pro- create more equity in the profession and and expand the bounds of it so that these things aren't so architecturally adjacent, but rather um, there's just sort of powers of ten as to the agency that you can have. That to me is is success. I, I got an email the other day from a former student of mine who did her thesis on um, women's health access in rural Turkey. And she sent me a photo from her white coat ceremony because she did a ton of research for that did a lot of boots on the ground, working with people, working with healthcare providers, and decided to go become a doctor so that she could merge her thinking both from an architectural access built environment standpoint and now from, you know, a med med school standpoint. And to me, that's like one of the best examples of that to say that, you know what? Yeah, I can can wear the hat of an architect. Cool. But I'm also going to wear this other hat because when I put both of them on, you know, synapses fire and you can that's the type of agency she wants to have in the world. And to me, that that's, that's amazing. And if more people did that um, it, as it aligned with their passions, we would just, there's no telling where we would end up as just even as a society.
0: Nice. I, um, I was thinking, while well, we talk, and that's really useful to know, and, and I'm, glad, I'm glad you're hearing that. So well, it's good that Out of Architecture exists now. Before that, there was nothing there. So I appreciate you've set this up. Now, I dabble and still do a little bit, not as much um as I'd like, because I'm busy doing recruitment, busy setting up my business, and you know it, it can it can be a lot, but last year I did in particular a lot of career coaching, and I found it deeply rewarding and incredibly intensive though <laughs> so so first of all, round of applause for doing it and now and and um, and, and I do want to say as well, I, what I've learned as well. And I'm going to quickly add it is that sometimes I think, especially from architecture culture, we can do a lot of work for free. And I, you know, I always challenge people on the perception of free. And uh, I, I know that you know, while I give away some information that I can free, that tends to be like a podcast like this because you can share value on, on to, to a bigger bigger network, I guess, or an an audience reality is one-on-one coaching is very specific to different people and you do that as well so let's not give away any juicy nuggets and it's not like you got juicy nuggets to give because yeah everyone's on a one-on-one basis but maybe it would be cool for, you, for me to understand how that process begins so if someone's like itching to get in touch mm-hmm. with you or how does it typically start so steven we have we have juicy nuggets i mean <laughs> If you want juicy
2: nuggets, oh. we we will provide. I am waiting for you to find a sound on the board. Have I got a juicy nice well, nuggets, okay, I've got so, I've, yeah.
0: I've got the oh my, I've lost my screen again. <laughs> so I got the architecture stressing me out one. So that's that's my that one that one, which is probably me on that. So where's the juicy? Oh, hang on, juice? Just think about it. Think about it while I answer your question, and then you can you can punch it at the end.
2: Um, <laughs> okay, I'm thinking. I, I would say. I would say as we go through um, the process of meeting a client, I mean, first of all, you're right. It's, you know, we don't give away work for free, but we also understand that a lot of this information is already available and a lot of what we're telling clients is more career therapy than necessarily us saying, um, you know, I mean, and a lot of the information we've already divulged is here are all the doors that are open to you as an architectural Or architecturally educated individual. Um, But this resembles what we do in our intro calls is we sit down with someone, we ask about their story. You, for example, are telling us, look, you know, at the time I left, this is how I felt. I understood that, you know, what I really appreciated about work was the personal connections. I would do anything I could to get away from my desk. I really just wanted to be engaging people on a different level. And we take that and we point to specific opportunities. Now, sometimes we get people who are in crisis and there's a little more urgency of how do I handle a situation that's going on at work? Um, Sometimes we're helping people to devise a plan to step away or they want to go start their own practice. And we're um, talking to them about how they might continue work for their firm under the guise of a contractor right? And how you might make that first step out. Sometimes we're talking to them about how they might price that, Mm. or maybe they're immediately already in negotiations for a new role. They already understood the system. They've got a good portfolio. They took a jump out and then they just have no idea what their value is. So we're all across the spectrum there. Um, But I would take this opportunity to plug um, that one-on-one coaching, I mean, for us, our time is really valuable and we charge a $500 base fee to work with clients. So we have that onboarding fee and that's pretty prohibitive to a lot of architects. I mean, certainly um, architecture pay is, uh, I think in the UK is almost worse than it is in the US, frankly, but um, in the US it is certainly not necessarily always a comfortable if, if livable wage. Um, And so we've been trying to problem solve that is how do we make our services accessible to the the broadest uh, range of people who need that support? And for a long time, we have also continued to offer discounted uh, rates for people who are unemployed or students or deferred payments or anything we could think of. And it kind of sparked this idea many years ago that there's probably a better – more efficient way to disseminate information than just a one to one kind of podcast um, you know and and some of those things I think are visible. A lot of career coaches have like a master class online or a series of tutorials or things like that. and certainly we've you know we've thought through possibilities, but what really it came down to is there are so many shared experiences and there are so many relatable experiences. Mm-hmm that we could share and we decided to do that through the form of a book that we have coming out at the the end of uh summer here i think actually probably just the very end of october so it's called out of architecture
0: um the value of architects beyond traditional wow this is actually a book that is up my street and uh, so if i'll 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 be very tempted to order physical but as an international person are we gonna get you are you gonna be um are we going to get it on the Kindle, guys? You... Uh,
2: yeah, so it's an international publisher, and they will print and ship anywhere G- in the world.
0: So it's Rutledge, who's a UK-based publisher, so you can get your it's physical actually copy. To no wrong. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, I'll probably yeah. I probably get it. I'll have a confession though. I had like so many architecture books years ago, and like I never I never read them, so I've given it a lot away to students, right? So I'm very, very like picky about like and i live in a two-bedroom flat in london there's not much space here right so there's not much space so I'm having all these books so the only books i've got left now i've got a few architecture books i'm going to give more away to students um on the architecture social but i got loads of video game books and i love them and i'm not <laughs> going to get rid of them but out of architecture it's very close to my you know to to me personally so i i will i will i will buy a book but before we do that, so I've got... You asked me, Jake. You, you doubled down. You mentioned Juicy Nuggets. You challenged me. So I've got, a, I've got a few noises here. So I've gone to the romance thing. So there's a present here. So let's see what the present sounds like. I never heard it before. Okay. So we open it up. Okay. So that's like unwrapping then, a gift. That's of, a kiss. Oh. So that's... A, I think that's a juicy nugget. There you go. That's, I think that that's juicy nuggets. Very juicy. Let's give, let's give you a round oh, of applause me all for finding I. juicy nuggets. Oh, that's Well, right. I, do you know what? I started um, getting soundboards and all this stuff because, as well, I think a lot of architecture content can be dry. <laughs> so I'm going to put that out there publicly on record. And and I think having a bit of fun with it really helps. And, and do you know what? In my job... It's still a pain in the ass sometimes doing these podcasts. Jake, we were talking before, you yeah, about sound and all this stuff. And sometimes it can get a bit much, mm. but I love it. I love learning things. And if I tell you what, though, sometimes I look back on those earlier podcasts and I'm just like, because, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, thought, I, I, I was going to tell you my confession. I said, we'll save it for him. So I loaded up Premiere Pro, right? Because that's the cool thing about architecture, because we can we can go into Adobe. I'm like, I know this. I don't know this stuff, but I'm like, you know, I worked all this stuff out. We've done feathering and blurring and layers and all that stuff. I was like, done Photoshop for years, right? So I'm going to learn Premiere Pro. And so I, I was doing it, and I was all right. But then I had this, like, preset for podcasts. And what it was doing is he was making the hisses louder for some reason. I'm like, Adobe, why are you doing that in your preset? And it was weird. So I did like eight months, and I manually edited everyone's hisses out. And I was like, this is just like, uh, I, oh, I can swear because it's my podcast. So I'd just be like, this is <laughs> fucking annoying, right? Oh, I swore after it. Oh, I'm going to have to edit out. <laughs> I was like, it's so annoying. And then I realized it's because I had this running satin <laughs> on. And um, the way I picked it up, because I was getting my YouTube output on the, on the, on the video, and I was like, there's no hisses there? Uh, but on there, you could hear the hisses. So my listeners, for, I really appreciate you bearing with me on the first year when everything was janky. <laughs> but do you know what? There's a point where I learned that, apart from one episode where I've hidden because the audio is gone. I'm starting to become okay with things not being perfect. And that can be another thing in architecture school that, you know, you, you're making things perfect, you're working those all-nighters. And I genuinely believe that if a content is authentic and it comes from the right place, people are likely much more to engage. And if you have an honest opinion, it's fine. I do agree with what you said, though, Jake, at the start. I mean, the audio has going to sound right. That's like one rule <laughs> that your dad, bless him, I agree with your dad on that. And tip for anyone who's making a podcast, as long as you sound all right, you're pretty much there. Video is secondary. Uh, but, yeah, there you go. I love all this stuff. And, and I wonder if I think I was still in a mainstream architectural practice, I'm not convinced I would be doing it. So for anyone out there who's thinking about exploring this stuff, I mean, what's the best way to start, Aaron and Jake? I mean, we talked about your the your book, which is coming out, which is probably a really good way, a really lower cost of entry to get all that information you've got the one-to-ones as well but if you were people are thinking maybe they're not quite ready for that yet but they 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 are interested in other stuff is it a case of you encourage people to start dabbling out of hours and doing their passions if they're not there till midnight in (laughs) in the office working
1: i mean even if you are right if you're really passionate about something uh you have a architects in general have a tendency to make that happen, right? I think, first of all, this podcast is a really great place to start, right? Like, gormandizing content mm. and, and people who are, are thinking, you know, similarly to you but also differently is, is important. Um, advice we give a lot of people and advice I give my students is just stop hanging out with only other architects. You know, there's a big, big problem oh, out yeah. there. Um, we post a lot on our social media channels, like you had mentioned the job posts, but also just sometimes just really words of encouragement or stories what other people are doing and we do free introductory consults if you want 30 minutes with with us or um i can happily and proudly say now members of our team because we've (laughs) added on um added on other other consultants and coaches yeah that's a helen right yeah because i was to the team
0: Shout out to Helen. Isn't that you girl? Shout out
1: to Helen. We love Helen. Um, so yeah, I mean, just book some book some time um and shoot us a note. You know, Jake and I are not shy about the fact that we like to collect people in the sense of, you know, your network mm. is is obviously very helpful to you, but it's also it's it's super inspiring inspiring. And um we're here here to help and and here to listen and, and offer, as Jake would put it, some unsolicited advice. <laughs>
0: I love that. And that's very, that's very generous of you as well, isn't it? And uh, I agree with that. You mentioned networks. And I think that another thing that I've learned, especially it is people who you know, and I think just being out there really helps. I always say to people, um, whether you say, no, you're passionate and Rhino know all this stuff. If you go to these events outside of hours and, or as you, I mentioned before, I like video games and I was playing with web design and that got me on my path and i'm sure jake and Aaron, as you are saying if these different things really helps that's my ice cream man outside i, I have to edit him outside is not it just goes around just blasting really the music
1: I, sh- I want some ice cream
0: today uh, yeah was that right <laughs> there's a new there's a new version that he's got like ice cream come and get your ice cream i'm like that doesn't sound right you know i'm used to you like you the old ice cream toe i'll come outside later i'm recording a podcast <laughs> Anyways, what was I saying? <laughs> I was talking about um, experimenting, doing all stuff. I think it's super, super valuable. But while the ice creams going on here and stuff, the other thing I like to do on the podcast is kind of mix it up a bit. And what I was going to say to you guys, and is there any questions that you have for me? Hmm. I don't so tell you this many. beforehand because I like them to be.
2: No, I've got one, <laughs> and I've listened to your, to your <laughs> you need podcast, so coming. I know it was coming. I, <clears throat> I, I knew this was Damn. coming, but I wasn't really prepared. I guess I would be curious to know when you're supporting, I mean, you mm. recruit for a living and you recruit for specific yeah. firms. Do you ever have, uh, you know, a kind of moral quandary where you feel that you're selling something that you uh, don't believe in? I just in?
0: did at the start. And um, the way I solve that is by not taking on roles that I don't believe in. And that's quite harsh at first because it means I lose more money in theory. Um, But then the other thing I learned is if you're very honest about the jobs, because you can't just say I'm going to work on the perfect jobs, but I really like to be very honest with them about the pros and the cons and what suits for different people, because not everyone wants to work for a star architecture practice. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's actually the the, mm-hmm. the the website, which is a bit clunky and you, you know, they're not the sexy on paper. Well, actually you can go home at 5.30 at night and they're quite nice people. And there's, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of honest um, companies out there which aren't glamorous. And I, I think it's all about understanding what the person is looking for. And I think one of the best things I ever learned which was two years ago, and it put into words what I was feeling, because I used to do before, oh, you got to sell all these things, in, especially when I on my career, and I was like, oh, my God, and then people would turn down no, say no. What I learned is you can't really change people's minds. There's a big myth in sales <laughs> that it's like, I'm going to get you here, Jake, and I'm going to wear you down until you go, oh, go on, sign me up to so-and-so company. And actually... It's not that, it's about finding people the roles that are right for them. And the bit that I have learned to save time is that I go straight away for the nose. So if someone says they're not interested, I'm like, that's fine, that's great. I can let, should I let you know about other stuff? Rather than trying to persuade people all the time. And that saves me a lot of time as well. And also the opposite. And it a, has a crazy effect on, on people where I say, I don't have capacity to take your role on right now. And normally salespeople are like dying to take on roles and will say, yeah, we can do that and this and that. And I go, I'm too busy right now, or I can't do this, or I'm not the best person for you, or I'm honest about it. It's just me, you know, architecture, social, it's just me. And sometimes I occasionally miss people's messages. And rather than saying excuses, I go, sorry, I've overlooked this. And so being ultra honest and going straight for the nose, I think is really useful And that helps me out a lot. And while I make less money in one sense, because in theory, right, pushing people into jobs means there's more people going for jobs. Actually, when you push someone into a job, it always goes wrong, (laughs) right? And it drops out. And so it's a false economy because I've got the money first, but then I kind of have to refund it anyways. (laughs) So it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. And uh, also, I believe as well... In when you do good things or you put stuff out there, you start getting you know social aggregators, people really rate you four or five stars. and and um people like to believe, like myself, it's funny because I'm like, I'm so independent, and I research all this stuff, and it's like I'm very predictable. <laughs> I will look for services which are four stars, five stars. and I will go through that and I'll read people reviews and say, I've made an informed decision. And actually I, I I believe a lot of stock in that. So I think by doing things the right way, um, that's the, the, the right way to do business. So that's what, that's my code of conduct. And I think that's the reason why I've survived, but I'm far from perfect. Even this morning I was thinking about, um, I haven't got back to some people cause you can imagine in recruitment, you get a lot of messages, you get a lot of emails and, and I'm aware that I probably let one or two people down in some places, but I just have to be honest to them when I speak to them. So even I'm learning. And I think my biggest problem is time management, and it's not so much pushing people into jobs or I don't worry about that anymore because I've done it for enough where it it generally works out. I don't know how to describe it. Um, But yeah, sorry, long answer, Jake, but I I hope that's useful in some ways.
1: I think it's incredibly insightful. Um, I think we struggle with that too, thinking like, if only we had more time to kind of help more people or if only we could do, you know, I, I think it's it's also that comes from training too, right? You're trained to kind of open up a set of plans and look for all of the things that you've done wrong, right? And, and improve upon them. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the, the takeaway is that, you know, you're human and the people that you're working with are human. And if everyone just treated everyone more like humans, we would probably be much better off. Um, The best salespeople are humans. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Well, and the other thing, while we're on it, sales gets such a stigma of a word, yeah. right? People are like, oh, sales and recruitment, and, and actually, the, some of the best, the most successful architects I know are the really good Absolutely. salespeople. Because sales is about conveying ideas, right? And and that's partly going marketing, branding, and all this stuff. It's about uh, you, should, you know relating to someone, sharing their vision. I mean, there's definitely stuff like that in there uh, that I've learned. You know, even like mirroring behaviors and certain things. And, you know, not using jargon is a big thing, because I think the like architects, especially when I was in architecture, we kind to of say, oh, this and this and this jargon. And it's incredibly mm-hmm. alienating to other people. And I'm like, don't say jargon, speak in normal languages. And, like, the kind of theme of this is that it's okay to make mistakes. And I think that there was, mm-hmm. um, I remember I did an internship with um, with a design architect from Skidmore's Merrill. Skidmore's Merrill is a really good company but you know where I'm going with this pedigree of, like, and he was, like, you know, American hardcore, and I worked for him him for a week. And I remember it was a Friday, and Saturday was my birthday. And I bear in mind this was, like, an unpaid internship, which is wrong, in my opinion, unpaid. is just terrible anyways. And, again, it goes back to, like, what you're saying of, like, why are we working unpaid? It just spreads this, like, world of problems and pains. But to the point, this person was, like, are you coming in tomorrow? And I was like, no, it's my birthday. And I remember this person saying, well, it was my wife's birthday last week and I still came in. And I was thinking, yeah, that's like, your ouch. business, and can... your wife. Don't put your problems on me. It's getting a bit sassy now, isn't it? I was like, I ain't coming in, but I didn't come in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I agree with you. That attitude's got to go, right? And I think a lot of it mm-hmm. comes from in architecture, especially in the UK, is he being squashed. Working long hours, giving away stuff for free, bidding for work for free. I mean, I, I mean, maybe a percentage in a company, but that ideology just doesn't go to me. It doesn't work with me, and it's like to loop back of what you said about free coaching. It, you can't do it all the time because you can't give the same value, and free doesn't pay the mortgages, and that's why I say it's like uh, if you, whenever. Some, it's like a gym membership right if you pay for it you're more likely to go and mm-hmm. what i learned is that i did an experiment last thing so i ran over but like i did a course where i charged for it and i did a course for free and i had 12 people turn up to the one that was paid and i had two people turn up yeah. to the one that was free and it was the exact same course and i believe that it's all about accountability. So when I was saying earlier, Mm. juicy nuggets, it's funny because a lot of my juicy nuggets are out there. But when people pay me, they pay me to tell them the juicy nuggets. And I think it's all about accountability and saying to someone, have you done this in your CV? Because it's out there on my YouTube. But I'm like, have you done it? And I go, oh, no. And that's fine. That's the process. But, you know, that tailored thing, that one-to-one is what people pay for um yeah and anyways i i can go on from no. the rant when it comes to unpaid hours jake what? No. Are you
2: and we have that uh we we have that same experience i think which is people want to be um not have their hands held but they they want to to actually be coached yep. and i was um just i love linkedin so much um and i was just on linkedin and and had seen uh Something I can't remember, Aaron. If this is something that you had shared with me, but it was essentially um, a TED talk uh, from a from a doctor, a surgeon, talking about um, coaching. And it's possible that uh, that my wife had had sent this to me, but it was a really astonishing um, discussion that centered around the fact that you know surgeons think they're the best, right? And of course, you have to a little bit in you know boosting yourself up to not kill someone. Yeah. But this person decided that what they were going to do is they were going to have someone come in and watch them do surgery, an old kind of either mentor or a colleague, and just provide external feedback. And I think what's so incredible is we have such a difficult time doing these things for ourselves. Mm. Even me, I i have the most difficult time negotiating for myself, but I can negotiate for a client no problem because I get to see both sides of the equation clearly with no bias. And I think that's one of the things that people do pay for. I would also say that back to your sales comment, this is sort of the early stage of the rant. So I'm not sure if the <laughs> listeners will, will remember, be, but- You'll be
0: like, <laughs> oh, um, it was a long one.
2: <laughs> but the um the the sales portion, I think, is also really accurate. and And one of the benefits of being at this kind of later stage in- Uh, the foundation of aaron and i's business is that we can tell people first of all we're not the right people to help you and we have the luxury of doing that because we both have separate professional endeavors Mm. that really carry us Um, and that's a luxury that not a lot of people have but it's also interesting because we learn a lot about people when we offer them advice and as aaron put sometimes unsolicited or free Mm. And you we will kind of immediately know whether a client is right for us because the ones that aren't go will tell me like, you know what is the what is the payment structure here? Like, what is the process? Like what do I owe you? Yeah, And there's a real hesitancy to just get into a genuine conversation. And I think those are the clients that end up having wildly different expectations of the exchange of money for coaching and money for advice. And what I would encourage those people to think about is, you know, when you go to a therapist, you're not paying that person to solve your problems. You're paying that person to listen and give you insight into your own way of thinking. yeah, And to tell you things that you probably already know, but that you might need to hear sort of read back to you. Um, And that's one of the huge benefits of having a career coach is you know you're more valuable. You're coming to us because you have already identified that problem. You know that you want more appreciation or you need a better balance or you're scared of something or anxious. We're just reading that back to you and telling you some ways that you might be able to escape from that. And I think that's a hugely powerful thing that can't necessarily always be replicated uh, in a one-to-many sense. So that's why we still, you
0: know, we will always value those one-on-one conversations. Mm, Love it. Brilliant. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I I agree with you. I think that actually you have to be prepared to invest in yourself. And that was one Thing that one of my teachers said when i was younger and i disagreed because i think i was broke at the time so i, I do understand if you haven't got some money per se but the moment you've got a little bit of money actually investing in yourself makes a big difference and i think that um i've started to learn that and i invest whenever i can in at, at the moment it's like business coaches or even sales coaches or Sometimes I try not to do sales, sales, but you can learn a lot of stuff as well, like even audiobooks. And it's such a great way to get into this stuff, isn't it? Psychology. Don't do, buy a book about sales, buy a book about psychology. And I think, I think that's really interesting. So I, I advise a lot of that stuff. But I do think if anyone's thinking of going outside of architecture, in one sense, I like, could be a precedent, but why not aim for the stars, design awesome shoes, or, you know, be part of a rock band and do awesome community-like you know projects in the day as well? So on that basis, because I love this, and we're, we're – look at this. It's, all, it's almost professional. If we're at the one-hour mark. Of course. Of course that was intended. But uh, perhaps, Jake and Aaron, you can tell us where – People can find you, and, and the easiest way to find reach us out. is
1: outofarchitecture.com. dot com, um, Instagram outofarchitecture, come out uh, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Jake Rudin and Aaron Pellegrino. Um, as Jake mentioned, he absolutely loves LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> so, just come find us and and connect Me with too. us, um, and let's have a conversation if you need to have a conversation.
0: Brilliant, I agree. LinkedIn all the way. Uh, Instagram, I'm losing the will to live. I need to make some reels. <laughs> that could be a topic for another day. Thank you so much, Jake. You've been an absolute star. And I'll do a real applause. And Aaron as well. Keep it up. And, and yeah, we, we, we need bit more punk in the world as well so thank you both out of architecture everyone that's joined us today if you're (laughs) rendering and you've been listening to this on audio and anything's resonated then you definitely should reach out but if you are in architecture as well and you have a passion for it but perhaps you know someone that maybe is um, struggling or you think that you know they've got super cool talents that could be used elsewhere why not share this with them as well thank you so much for tuning in i'm going to end the podcast now and listen to one next week if I upload it on time I hope I will and I (laughs) will time management we'll get there thank you all can I go bye take care